Welcome. I'm Douglas Peak, and I am so glad that you are here today, whether you're on campus or watching for the first time. Now, if you are on campus and you have relocated to Idaho in the last month or six months or year, we're glad that you are here. We do not check the license plates in the parking lot. And if you just got here from Saskatchewan, we're glad you're here. I just wanted to always say Saskatchewan in a message. You know, it's kind of cool. But uh, we're starting a brand new series because all of us on, are on a journey called life. And we as a church, and this is particularly for those of you who might be new or uh, kind of investigating faith, our goal is to help you navigate this journey yourself. And as a church, we do this in three ways. Number one, we want to strengthen you by giving you knowledge and tools. So the more no I believe the more knowledge you have, the better decisions you make. And if you have tools in your hand to implement those decisions, that's good. The second thing we do as a church is we clarify the options. And that is, is we speak truth. Our goal as a church is not to tell you what to wear, what to eat. We're not here to tell you what to think, what music to listen to, uh, uh, who to vote for, any of those types of things. Our goal is to help you make those decisions yourself by clarifying the options, because we believe when you are exercising your faith is when you grow the most. And then finally, we do this by encouraging you with support. And what we do is there are people that were at one time where you are right now, and when you meet these people, you're around these people, uh, mentors, people who are teachers, people who are small group members, people who are friends. These people just help encourage and inspire you along the journey. So we as a church over the next probably four to six weeks is we're going to study this thing called family. All right. And in the process, our goal is to give you knowledge, tools, wisdom, encouragement, and inspiration to make your life the best that it can be. Now, whenever we start off a series, people like to know, what am I reading? Do you want to read something? And here's a couple books that you can look at. Uh, one is by Dr. Peter Kreft. Uh, this is How to Destroy Western Civilization. And it's a lot about the family, whether you know it or not, and the kind of the institution of family, how society perceives the family. This one was written uh, by Elton in True Blood in 1944. So this is before World War II was over, and he called it the predicament of modern man. And this thing was prophetic, because if you want to know why what's going on today in our society and why it seems so upside down, you read that book and you will know why. There's another book by Charles Swindoll about family life, which is just top notch. It's, it's a classic. It's about 40 years old. Uh, but I think you ought to throw that on your reading list. So why are we doing a study on the family? Well, because your family is going to influence you more than anything else in your life, good or bad. That's just an axiomatic statement. First of all, it influences how you think and make decisions. Subconsciously, you go through a process to make a decision. Guess where you learn that process as your family of origin, good or bad. Sometimes your family teaches you to make decisions good, and sometimes they teach you to make them poorly. How you define love, what it means to be loved and receive love and be in a loving relationship, good or bad, has an immense uh influence from your family 
on that. If you grow up in kind of a toxic, unhealthy thing where love is, is narcissistically driven, it's codependent in nature, whatever, guess what? You're going to have to work through that. It, you, maybe you grew up in a family where love was selfless and altruistic. That influences you, right? So the way you define love and the way you experience love, even feel loved, is highly influenced by your family. The foundation of every relationship in your life, your friendships, your close friendships, your family relationships, your partnerships and business, your career relationships are all influenced by your family of origin, your perspective on life. If you grew up in a family uh, that was very cynical and negative, guess what? You tend to have a cynical and negative outlook on life. If you grew up in a family that had a really uh, optimistic and joyful outlook on life, guess what? You will as well. Your ability to commit to things and follow through, your work ethic, how disciplined you are as a person, guess what? All influenced by your family, developed in your family of origin. Your ability to persevere, your sense of confidence in life, grit, all highly impacted by your family. So, with that in mind, we're going to talk about the family, and I want to give you a little kind of frame of reference in which to think about family in general in order for you to apply stuff to your own family and kind of figure out where you're at, okay? So I call this the family continuum, you know? And if you know me, I like lines and continuums and all kinds of things like that. So this continuum is going to pop up here any second in just a phenomenally electronic and digital way. See, it always works. You say the magic words. Now, there's no such thing as a perfect family, right? It just doesn't exist. But what you will find is some families can be pretty unhealthy and toxic. And, and research is kind of done better at sharing what that is. And then there are families that are really healthy and vibrant. Okay, so my question for you is this. Where is your family on this continuum right now? Where would you put yourself? Would you put yourself right in the middle? Would you put yourself a little bit to this left side over here? Or would you put yourself a little bit to the right side over here? Where's your family? Well, here's a better question, though. Think about this. Where would you put the family that you grew up in in comparison to the family you're in now. Did, did you grow up in a family that was maybe a, right here, right? But the family you're in now is here. Or did you grow up in a family here and the family you're in now is here? See, those are really great questions to ask yourself because until you kind of define where you're at, it's really difficult to move from one place to another. Now, I have an even broader question, and that is, is the culture in which you live, our society, producing more of these types of families, or is it now producing more of these types of families? Now, if you ever wondered if I was radical or not, I'm about to remove any doubt, okay? So I'm not here to tell you that you should think this way, but I'm going to share this so that it gives you something to think about, 
to make up your own mind. And that is our society and in our culture, all the data shows that the trend on family is moving in this direction. Adult males are avoiding not only marriage, but relationships as well. 63% of males between 18 and 34 are not in a relationship right now. And 50% of those males don't even want to be in one. 63% of marriageable men, men who could be fathers, build families, aren't in a relationship. By 2030, that's only seven years from now, guess what? 52% of females will be single and not in a relationship. Think about that. I mean, the, the trend towards family and family relationships in our society is going in the, that direction, okay? The birth rate in America is dropping. According to U.S. News and World Report, between 1976 and 2018, the mean number of children uh, born per woman declined from three to two. So that is considered a plummeting birth rate for Americans. We are no longer at what they call replacement levels. Out of wedlock births since 1970 have more than doubled. 24% of all children were born outside of marriage or a nuclear family. And in 2020, it was over 40%. When you break it down according to uh, ethnic status, those numbers go up in minority communities. You see, the research in a lot of ways is unequivocal. The data doesn't lie. The modern trend for the family is going towards the wrong end of the continuum. Now, there, there's a, a lot of sitcoms out there. The modern family may be a funny sitcom, but what's being espoused in our society today when it comes to family, because your family has such a huge influence on you, creates broken people, lost people, confused people, which ends up producing people who are mentally unhealthy, spiritually unhealthy, and therefore they end up being frustrated, angry, depressed, and they want to give up on life. When family has the greatest influence on you and that family is getting towards this unhealthy side of the continuum, it just produces chaos in our society. Okay? Now, this is where I remove all doubt. I think I'm a radical. That is, some people say, well, it might be the church's fault. I don't think that's it at all. I believe unequivocally that the trend is moving in this direction because the elites in our society have been redefining the family since the 70s, and they've been doing it on purpose with a specific end in mind. Therefore, that presents you with a challenge. And that is, if my society has people pushing to do this in a certain direction, I am now required to make a choice. And that choice is simply this. Whose definition of the family will I accept as true? Who's telling the truth? Because if the family is the biggest influence on you and you're in a family and you're raising kids and you want to influence your kids, you've got to ask yourself, who am I going to listen to when it comes to defining my family? And if my family, I want it to be healthy and vibrant, and I want it to have, if I want my marriage to be good, if I want my kids to grow up into a healthy way, whose definition is Right. I've always said what you believe is one of the most important things about you. And what you believe about a family is absolutely 
critical. So let's talk about some of the options, okay? There, there's options like, like the first option I came up with family, uh, my family growing up, not very healthy. And so when I got into high school, my friends were my family. You know, a, lot of, a lot of young people are like that. You know who my family is? It's my friends, right? You know, they like that uh, John Lennon song, you know, I get by with a help, little help from my friends, right? He also says I get high with a little help from my friends as well. So don't forget that. You know, so I'm not so sure that's a positive influence. But the point was, is that I, I was in a group of guys. There were five of us, you know, we gave ourselves a name. We did everything together, right? Uh, we pooled our funds. We, we, we hung out. We did everything together. You know, and we even had T-shirts made up with the name of our group that we wore all the time. I mean, that was our family, you know, and then, and then we go, we graduate from high school, we go different ways, and then, you know, talk to them for 50 years. Well, you know, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. They're with you forever. So, so your friends, the wonderful that they are, ultimately are not family. Now, there's another idea of family that has come out today, and this is what is propagated in American society today. A lot of our major institutions uh, are, are propagating this definition. The American Psychological Association defines family as any group, so it's any group related by blood. Okay, I get that. Marriage. Okay, I get that. Adoption. Yeah, adoption is a legal action that makes a person a legal part of your family. But did they add one other thing to it today? And you know what it is? Or any intimate relationship. Okay, so it's a family is relation by blood, marriage, adoption, or anything else you can think of. Now, a lot of people today are asking, why are things getting so crazy in our society today? Why is it that, that our society is propagating and pushing the acceptance of things that you may personally not agree with, but you're being pushed to do it anyway? Well, the reason why is because there is a legal precedent for it. A lot of people are not aware of this, but in 2015, there was a Supreme Court uh, case called Obersfeld versus Hodges. Okay, the decision was released after it was written by Justice Kennedy, the majority, all right? And is, this is the decision that made same-sex marriage legal in America, okay? Now, most people don't read the decision, but I want to read two portions of what he wrote to help you understand the legal basis for all of these things that are happening in today's society. In it, he says this, the Constitution promises liberty to all within its reach, a liberty that includes certain specific rights that allow persons within a lawful realm to define and express their identity. So, the first phrase we all agree with, Constitution promises liberty to all its reach. But what most people don't realize is the radical redefinition of the purpose of the Constitution. And that is the Constitution existed to protect individual rights, right? It limited government so that you had the liberty to do what? You could pursue life, liberty, and happiness, 
right? That's it. It, it was to limit itself. But now the Constitution, right, is able to give you the capacity to define and express your own identity. Do you, this is really big. It's important to understand this. What it's saying, what he's saying, and what this thing rolled out meant is that from this point on, the purpose of society and the legal jurisprudence will back it up is that society is required to do what? Allow you to define and express your own identity. But we're going to go one step further. Look at what he says later on in the decision. For this reason, for that reason, just as a couple vows to support each other. So marriage is about two couples vowing to be there for each other. Guess what? So does society pledge to support the couple offering symbolic recognition and material benefits to protect and nourish the union. So it is now the role, according to him, and it passed, so it's the law of the land, society is now required to recognize, protect, and nourish that union, whether you agree with it or not. That is the most radical redefinition of what a family is in the history of the world. That's why things that you might disagree with are being taught to your kindergartner. That's where all, because people ask, how is this stuff being propagated about family relationships and things that kindergartners shouldn't even be they're supposed to learn what a cow is and what a cat is and, and what a dog is. What, what is all this stuff? Why is our library filled with these books? Because it is a legal precedent to do so. And if you stand in the way of that, you are what? You're a criminal. But the question is, does this definition of the family produce vibrant and healthy families or more toxic ones. That's for you to decide. To me, the data is unequivocal. It says it's pushing it more towards that way. Now, there's another definition of the family and where it comes from, what its purpose is. Let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What he's saying is that the, the female was of the same stuff as him, the same nature, the same essence. He says she's going to be called woman because she's of the same essence. We are created in the image of God. 
He goes, this is, and this is really critical. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife are both naked and felt no shame. So, so what's happening here, let me explain to you really quick, is uh, in chapter 1, uh, Moses, you got to realize, Moses wrote this. He wrote the first five books of the Pentateuch as they were marching across the Negev Desert out of slavery in Egypt into the Promised Land. So he was in a tent, you know, out there scribbling away. And what during that period of time, he wrote down, you know, first five books of the Bible. He writes down the creation event. And then he goes into more in-depth, okay, in chapter 2. And the reason he does that is he says, okay, this is why God created males. This is why God created females, because they were meant to help one another. They were to be together in partnership. And what's really interesting is, is that he says, this is how he did it. This is why he did it. And then in verse 24, he says, this is why a man leaves his mother and father. So his family of origin, right? And then it says, and he is united to his wife. And in the original Hebrew, they, they used to translate that word cleave, right? Which I never understood for years until I was in college because I was uh, cleaving. You know, a cleaver is a thing that you tenderize meat with, right? Why would you cleave your wife? That doesn't make any sense. You know, what is it advocating? And then I realized that what a cleaver does, you know, is it makes these two things into one, you know, it's, uh, but anyway, it, uh, that took a while to clear up in my head. Um, What's critical about this is that the reason God created them the way he did was for the purpose of establishing new families. So not only does a man leave his mother and father, so he leaves that, he cleaves to his wife, they become one flesh, not only spiritually, but physically, and ultimately the producing of a child. I mean, that is a natural order thing. That always happens. When a man and a woman come together in intimacy... And since there are young children in the room, we won't go any deeper than that. It always eventually produces a child unless that natural process is intervened with. And for the last 7,000 years and beyond, 7,000 years of recorded human history, it's only the last 60 years that we've had birth control to stop the natural process. It always ended up in that process, but only until recently have we had the capacity to interfere with that process. Now, I'm not trying to say it's right or wrong to interfere with it. What I'm saying, though, is that that goes to the core of what it means to have a family. Now, this is, if I may be so bold as to say, this, what I just read, is Judaism. We are not Jews. We're Christians. So that means everything in the Old Testament must be interpreted through what? The New Testament. And this is really important to understand, is that Jesus addresses the exact same issue in Matthew chapter 19. Let's see what he has to say about the family. Now, the setup is this. Pharisees came to do a gotcha question to catch him. But of course, Jesus is Jesus. You know, all-knowing is really helpful in a debate. <laughs> Just saying. But listen to this. Now, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Now, here's the trick that they were using. And that is they knew in Judaism that 
People were created in the image of God, male and female. They knew what was taught in Genesis chapter 2, how they were supposed to cleave together, become united as one. But the Pharisees, throughout time, had come up with an out clause. And so what happened is, in the society, it's not like America at all. There's no safety net or anything at all like that. So what would happen is men could dismiss their wives. And what that meant, basically, is sending them back home. Okay, so they could send them back to their father or to one of their brothers to take care of to allow him then to go find a younger, different wife. Right. So that was being used. And what it did is it treated women as second class citizens because marriage in Judaism was established for one purpose. And that was is to put women on level standing with males in society. It protected them. Okay, And so what was happening is is that they knew that there was this contradiction. And so they're trying to get Jesus to pick a side so that they could trap him and argue. This is what Jesus says, though. Verse 4, he answers and said, have you not read? So right there, he's kind of, you know, throwing shade at him. These guys are Pharisees. These guys do what? All they do is read and write. They've read it over and over and over again. He goes, haven't you read? that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So he quotes Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, right? He goes then, and then he said, and then he jumps over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 there, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they owe no longer two but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one separate, all right? So they say to him, well, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate and divorce her? Well, he said, because of your hardness of heart. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, this was not the natural order. It wasn't designed to be this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality, marries another woman, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, well, if the relationship of the man and his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. So the reason the disciples asked this question is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just changed marriage from like a business to arrangement to a whole nother level, right? You've brought it up to covenantal level. It'd be better to not get married if it's that high level, high bar. And it's just Jesus, he's, he's awesome. He goes, well... Not all men can accept this statement. (laughs) What would you say is the most powerful drive in a male between the ages of 18 and 32? You can figure it out. But only those to whom it has been given, for their eunuchs, meaning people who are not desirous in that way, who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. And then some children were brought to him. Why is Matthew putting children right there next to this passage? Children were brought to him so that he might lay hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let children, let them alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying hands on them, he departed from there. So Jesus defines 
The exact same thing from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then Matthew includes his interaction with children. So what we see is a definition of the family being propagated here, not just in the Old Testament, but the New Testament. And what that means for you is really critical is you have to make a choice on whose definition you want to believe because nothing else will make sense in trying to improve your family until you make a decision at this level. And this is why our theme, the kingdom of God, is so important for the year because as you can see, the definitions of family are radically different. Some people over here say, well, family could be anything you want to make it. You could structure it any way you want. You can have any outcome you want. And then you have God over here saying in the kingdom of God, well, it's pretty specific, right? It's pretty specific. Uh, And so what happens is this, is sometimes we hedge our bets and we don't make a choice, right? It's like, well, I like this because I see that this produces all that health and vibrancy. But sometimes this is, you know, let's be honest, it's kind of fun. At least at first, it seemed kind of kind of fun. So what I'll do is I'll try to do a little both. My grandpappy said, son, when you ride the fence, you only get splinters in one place. (laughs) Just think about that one too. You see, that's the choice that we have to make. And, And this is what makes a huge impact on your family is The reason we struggle, the reason we get confused in life, we have so many problems in our marriages and with our kids and with the people around us is because we're trying to live the values of both at the same time. You see, you have to make a choice. Am I going to live in the kingdom of God, right, and have these values to reap the blessings that he promises, or am I going to try to live over here and, and then live compromised, that's where confusion comes from. That's where struggle comes from. That's where anxiety and depression comes from. You see, there's really, if, let me simplify for a second, there's really only three categories of people in this regard, right? There's people who live over here with this definition, and they say, this is what the family is supposed to be. I can make it whatever I want. There, you know, all those old traditions and ideas and religion is just a farce. It's a joke. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. This is so enlightened and wonderful. It's so progressive, and it's so all of these things, which until you understand that Solomon was right in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new in the sun when you really study history, really study philosophy, you start to realize all this is just rehashed from other failed experiences in the past. But we'll put that, we'll put that aside. Just say, this is awesome because it's more fun. It's more freedom. I can do whatever I want. It's so non-judgmental. It's so not, it's so non-judgmental. I would rather live here. So you have that group of people. Then you have another group of people that live right over here and say, look, ma'am, I know that the kingdom of God is true and objective and it's revelatory and it works every single time. I am 100% committed to this. I'm going to do everything I can to live over here because that's what I want. I want to walk in the fullness and the blessing of everything that God has for me. And then there's a majority of people who live right here saying, I'm really not quite sure. I mean, I like this. I want that. I kind of like this and I want that, right? So I'm in between. It's kind of like stir fry, you know? When you do homemade stir fry, you take whatever you can out of the kitchen, you heat up the pan, throw some oil in there, you throw this in there, you throw that in there, you throw in that. And sometimes it comes out what? Awesome. And then other times you can't eat it. It's so bad. 
So, so with that in mind, that little construct, those three categories, let me just show you practically how this works out, okay? Is that what I have found really interesting is if you're over here, you're like, I want to live this way because I'm trying to find a soulmate. If you live this way, you, you're saying, I want to find a soulmate. I want a marriage and a family that, man, is so awesome. And then you talk to these people who are kind of, in the, they go, I want a soulmate. So the motivation for each category is the same, finding a soulmate. Your question is, who's right? This side says, try before you buy when it comes to intimate relationships. You need to have that chemistry. You need to have this. You need to have that. You know, so that's their position. Over here in God's kingdom, you know what he says? He says, you have to build the relationship on the right foundational stones. You don't go out and build your roof before you lay your foundation. You know, roofs are awesome, right? But you put them on last, right? And if you put everything else, if the foundation is square and then the walls are square, guess what? It's easy to build a roof. But if you don't put the foundation down right and build the walls right, guess what? Your roof is crooked, and crooked roofs always do what? Leak. And then you have people in the middle who are saying, we want soulmates. You know, and they're, they're trying a little of this and a little of that, and it gets so confusing. And then they wonder why they're not happy. How about another thing that I've noticed? This side, when it comes to family, this position, when it comes to family, this position, when it comes to family, all say the same thing. And that is what's best for the children? What's best for the kids? How can we raise kids the best? You know, we want to do what's best for the kids. This group of people says is that uh, any tradition or any proven way in the past is a form of indoctrination and kids should be able to do whatever they want, explore whatever they want. And we're limiting human evolution and potential, okay? This side over here says, man, these things are tried and true and they always produce that. And it's, man, let's use what works, Right? And then you have these people say, well, I'd like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Who's right? That's for you to decide. What about this issue? This side says, you know why I'm doing this? We're trying to peel back all of these things and we're trying to find this new level of consciousness because this will help you become a better person, right? A more tolerant and accepting person. This side over here says, the goal here is to become a better person, a more authentic you, the you that you were meant to be. And then you have these people in here saying, I want to be a better person, but I'm not sure who's right. Your question, should, uh, your answer, question to, and that you have to answer is, who's right? They all want the same thing, but who's right? That's your choice. You have to make it. What's really interesting is on this side, it's becoming more, in my opinion, toxic and producing toxic results because on this side, when you become a better person, it's like, here's what we think is good. And if you depart from that, we will do everything we can to cancel you. You shouldn't even be heard. This side is, well, I'm not so sure where to be. And this side over here is that the only way to become a per better person is to live in the kingdom of God where there's redemption and restoration. Because nobody's perfect, right? 
uh, I don't know, it's probably 12 years ago. I went to a conference in San Antonio and I met this guy. And uh, this guy, his name is uh, Caleb uh, Kaltenbach, and he has a really interesting story. Uh, I met him. He got up. He kind of gave his testimony. He wrote this book called Messy Grace. And what's really interesting about this story is this, is that uh, he was born, and then when he was about a year old, two years old, uh, his parents were professors at a university. And after he was born, about a year old, maybe 18 months, his mom said, uh, I'm gay. I don't want to be married. And so she then went to live with her partner. Shortly after that, his father said, I'm gay. And he went to live with his partner. He said, out of these four parents that raised me, three of them worked with GLAD, the homosexual activist group, right? So he said, my whole experience growing up is I marched in every pride parade there ever was, right? I had the little baby bouncer, you know, thing that, you know, in the pride colors, I did all this kind of stuff. That's how I was raised. And he said, and then when I was in high school, he said he had a friend who, who invited him to a Bible study. And so he went and asked his one, one set of parents if he could go to the Bible study. He goes, you would not believe the reaction I got. He says, because I was taught from the youngest age that Christian people, people who believed in the Bible, were filled with hate for people like me and my parents. But he went, he said, and he heard the message, the gospel, for the first time. He talks about this in, in the book, Messy Grace. And he says, you should have seen what happened when I went to my parents and asked them if I could get baptized as a Christian? And he talks about this story, okay? And he talks about how his parents, you know, both sets, lived their whole adult lives in that lifestyle. And then one of them lost their partner to death, went through the, and he went through the grieving process with his mom and then started working with his father and over time, he says, both his mom and his dad have become followers of Christ. Doesn't matter where your family is on that continuum. It doesn't matter what direction your family is going. When you choose to live in the kingdom of God, you are living under the authority of a God that can redeem anything. He has the power and the authority to heal anything. All we must do is live and walk in it. Your family is the most important influence in your life. And God's vision is to heal it, redeem it, build it, strengthen it, inspire it, encourage it, so that you are blessed by it. Go with me on this journey because I think we are going to have a boatload of fun. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, whenever I, I look into this stuff that you're doing, I, I just can't say it enough, God. You're awesome. Amen. <laughs>